Today's guest is comedic stage hypnotist and hypnotherapist Frank Perry. Frank and I met a couple years ago uh, when I was with One Taste. I was running a community home in Brooklyn, and he came to stay with us while he was taking uh, an orgasm course. And, uh, you know, he and I didn't get to know each other too well, but he stayed a couple weekends at our place. And I saw him one evening uh, hypnotize a woman, uh, and it was like, it was just cool to watch. And more recently, I've studied a little bit of erotic hypnosis. I was really fascinated with what's possible. So I wanted to bring on an expert to ask about hypnotism um, and what actually hypnosis is in a grounded way. Um, Frank is a super atheist skeptic, like probably way more than I am. I mean, definitely way more than I am. So it was nice to hear his thoughts on the mystical experience or quasi-mystical experience of hypnosis. Um, we also talk about different things, cult psychology, mind control, we touched on ethics a little bit and uh, what goes on when you're under hypnosis. Uh, this is a really fun episode. This is episode 009, Frank Perry, Hypnosis and Mind Control. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, Perpetual Orgasm, Infinite Play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. All right, here we are. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. I, actually, I haven't seen you in many years, right? It's been like two yeah, not, years, four uh, years. Yeah, not since you... Probably last time I saw you was at one of the CPs. Where you, maybe, you maybe yeah. My, my last clear memory of you, well, I have two recent memories. One is you hypnotizing a chick in the uh, Kelly in the Ohm house. And I was like, oh, whoa, that's really cool. I don't know if you right. remember that. It was one of those weekends. Um, yeah, yeah. And another time... Kelly, yeah, just another time. His last name? Or never mind. I guess you don't yeah. want to say it live. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, not that it matters, but then also, yeah, yeah just like hanging out in, in in my community house at the. We don't have to explain what it is right now, but anyway, yeah, yeah that's fine. fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I want to reach out because one, I've been interested in hypnosis in general for a while, years actually, even though like it's kind of been a fringe interest. But recently, I had uh, like I got this hip, like, erotic hypnosis training with this guy who's not like a master hypnosis person by any means, but he mm -hmm. said he knew a few things. He could show me a few things. And okay. I was shocked at how much could occur in a session, which kind of renewed my interest in hypnosis on a broad scale. So I want to speak to you about that and then dig in because I don't know too many hypnotists uh, directly. <laughs> We're a bit of a fringe. Uh, you know, I, I have people that we, we kind of dream of the day that hypnosis isn't such a, a fringe element, but it's been most of history. Um, most people don't understand it. Yeah, which is weird because and maybe we should start there because the more I learn about it, which is still not a lot, it seems like it's a pretty normal element. Like a lot of like, like when I go to a yoga class and they like they guide us through like the feel your body stuff. I'm like, oh, this is a hypnosis yeah. induction essentially, and like <laughs> everyone's kind of doing this. Like the ads on TV are are, are yeah. similar. So like this is kind of a human principle that's been going on. It goes on everywhere. Only just oh, yeah. only a few people call it hypnosis. It, it's interesting that you say that it's and it's true. Once you start to really learn hypnosis, you basically see it everywhere all the time. Uh, I, I was actually hired to do a lecture on the history of hypnosis uh, a couple of months ago. And while, while I was doing my research for it, I really like there's one, I forget where I found it, but there's one article that phrased it as the history of hypnosis is basically like the history of breathing. You know, if you really, once you understand the principles of hypnosis, the concept has been with humans throughout all of human history. It's only been in the last 
a couple hundred years, not even, that we've even begun to understand what is actually going on. Uh, you know, the, the term hypnosis was was coined was in the 1800s, I think, uh, mm-hmm. was when we actually coined the term. It was James Braid who who came up with the term, which is really funny because he tried to undo it. That word hypnosis comes from the Greek word hypnos. For sleep. And, yeah, for sleep. Mm-hmm. And the guy that coined it, originally he th- thought it had something to do, because a lot of times when you see people that are in hypnosis, you know, they're conked out, their eyes are closed. They look like they're kind of in a semi-sleep unconscious state. Yeah. Um, which, you know, of its appearance and what's actually going on are two very different things, which, you know, it starts a lot of the misconceptions. But if you ever go into hypnosis, you ever ask someone who's been in hypnosis, they're actually very aware of everything that's going on around them. But when you do an induction that tends to put someone in that kind of glazed over state, um, from all outwards appearances, it looks like they're asleep. So this guy, James Braid, originally tried to he could coin the term hypnosis because he thought it had something to do with sleep. And then through his studies, he found out it had nothing to do with sleep at all. Uh, and then he tried to change it to mono ideaism, which is not as catchy. Um, and by the time that he tried to do that, hypnosis had be- like the term hypnosis become so popular. There was, it was no, there was no one doing it. Yeah. Well, it's a sexier word than mono. It is. So. <laughs> yeah. Can um, you imagine it's like, yeah, I'm a mono ideaist. <laughs> I'm going to mono idea you. The Biggie song would have no, it would have to have a new name. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so could you explain what it actually is? And I think, well, the mono idea, I could take a guess. I mean, my only understanding of it is like you're dropping into like a slower brainwave state, but it's like, uh, there's something with like singularity of thought. Is that how you define it? There's a lot of ways to describe hypnosis. And this is an interesting thing because if you ask a bunch of different hypnotists, you'll get a lot of different definitions Mm -hmm. uh, because there's, you, you know, if you ask a scientist, for example, you know, like what, where does the hypnotic phenomena begin end? And there's actually a debate on this. Some people might say some version of hypnosis doesn't actually exist. The other version of that is we're always in a state of hypnosis in a, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think about hypnosis as the phenomena, uh, which is something we go in and out of all the t- every day of our lives. And it's basically, um, you know, what most people think of hypnosis is to me, based on one fundamental principle, is that if you have an idea and it enters the mind, uh, enters into the subconscious, and the subconscious mind accepts it as true, your mind and body will manifest that into reality. So for example, I do stage hypnosis and hypnotherapy. um, And you start to understand a lot about how people operate when you understand this principle, because Regardless of whether an idea is true or not, if you believe it's true, for you, nothing else matters. Hmm. So, you know, some of the more ridiculous things, if you go to one of my stage shows, for example, and I hypnotize someone to, you know, go hallucinate, um, you know, what's, what's physically happening in the brain is that I'm engaging the part of your mind that dreams, and functionally, I am... Um, uh, conjuring a, a dream hallucination, but you're not fully asleep. You're kind of somewhere in between awake and asleep, if that makes sense. Um, but I put an idea into your head and temporarily the mind will will, manif- uh, will believe it. All, you know, it's, it's getting that idea in the subconscious mind so the mind believes it. So 
if I'm getting you to hallucinate or, or getting you to maybe forget the number four or change your reality some weird way. That's that was the if you're asking the mono ideas, and it's the idea that you're getting hooked on a single idea such that that becomes your reality. Yeah, now, and my understanding is that you're through like the induction, you've slowed your brain wave state down to a place where you're not thinking of, of a million things anymore. Is that like a easy definition or explanation it is um to be honest i always i always mix up all the brain states so okay well i, I don't know the beta is yeah. like the conscious wake and then alpha then yeah I, I, yeah I think when you go into hypnosis the alpha states pick up and then and there's there's different depths of hypnosis you know you, you get uh, start engaging into you, you can get different phenomena different depths uh, again mm-hmm. we, we can we can go up on a tangent very easily in this, right. this topic so trying to stick with your original question of what is hypnosis all oh, right <laughs> yeah I that's forgot. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to these conversations. They they get off topic very easily. It is really a rabbit hole of nonsense. Yeah, um, it gets very intriguing very quickly. But um, yeah, it's that that's the phenomena. Is that if you know, uh, th- then the kind of the question is, well, w- what does it take for an idea to enter your mind in a way that you would accept it? And the truth is, we have ideas coming into our heads all the time. Whether you have ever been to a formal quote-unquote hypnotic trance so i'll give you an example what are the beliefs you have about yourself uh you know look at someone that has a really low self-esteem and i'm looking giving some extremes for for clarity of understanding mm-hmm. but someone has a really bad, low self-esteem for example what are the ideas that go through their head every day i'm such a screw-up why can't i do anything right why why am i you know why i suck i'm terrible you know, I'm a terrible person. These beliefs about ourselves, if we believe them, we will interact with reality as if those are our truths. You know, our shoulders will, uh, someone that thinks that their shoulders are slumped, they'll tend to look down more. They'll yeah. tend to, you know. And then self fulfilling prophecy when everyone reflects that because their shoulders are slumped. Yeah. And, and, you, and you know, I, I know from the, the work that, that we met through, you know, that that's a lot of a truth, the, the stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, the, for the, regardless of whether they're true or not, for the person that believes them, it doesn't matter if they're true. They're, they're the reality. So that's what I help work with people. You know, so when I'm doing stage hypnosis, I'm doing silly stuff for laughs and giggles. Mm-hmm. And that stuff doesn't last past the show. Uh, at the end of the show, everyone goes back to being normal. But if someone comes into me for hypnotherapy, for example, they have an idea in their head, generally that they don't want, or they want to introduce a new idea that they want, but they don't know how to integrate it. So, you know, habits, for example, someone that's uh, smoking is a very common one. Mm -hmm. You you have this belief about yourself. The language language people use about themselves tells you so much about them. I'm a Mm -hmm. smoker. That gives so much power to the idea because you're defining yourself by by a behavior, Mm -hmm. for example. You you get it? Um, That was one of the first things I start to do is I start to break the hold of how much strength some people someone gives to an idea if say they want to lose it so you know first step would be you're not a smoker you're a person with a smoking habit it doesn't define you as a person it's just one aspect of you um and then you know it just goes off off on there you, you can yeah. pick up any idea uh you know the w- way people the way you think that people see you the way you see yourself yeah. uh beliefs beliefs about you know this is where like politics and religion become really dicey because these are beliefs that people hold really deeply. Um, so when you start challenging them, you know, people get offended um, because that's how they see the world. And 
again, you know, it's very much about these beliefs, these ideas that yeah. we have in our. I'm curious about because I think the the changing of perceptions is easy for most people to grasp. Like that that happens without hypnotherapy. It happens normally. People change their mind. Things happen. Yeah. Um, I'm really curious about like the actual, like more concrete manifestations of a changed viewpoint. Okay. Like like uh, like like you're saying someone sta uh, standing on stage and hallucinating. Like they're actually like their visual cortex is actually creating something that's not in front yeah. of them. Or like actually, and I'll go into Max. Like I, I've seen videos of uh, hypnotherapists having women uh, see like see that they have a penis and actually feel that they have a penis and like having yeah. an orgasm. That seems to be a common thing. Uh, or like in my experience, uh, hypnotize someone to have an orgasm, and I was surprised that she actually did. I didn't think it was. I didn't really. I thought it would take more than just a couple things. Yeah. I don't know if I got lucky or whatever, <laughs> but like. Like that, that like, can you explain a little bit, or like, or share some insight on like what actually is happening there? On on what like level, like physio physiologically, or yeah, the physiological stuff, and and the just like experiencing like where your senses are actually. Yeah. Let, me, let me start on because um, when you get into physiological stuff, it gets really kind of complicated. To be honest, we we okay be here for a few hours, um, and. Uh, this is the the model that I that I give everyone that I'm explaining to, and and this is it's kind of weird because it's not you know like if you cut the brain open it doesn't look like this obviously, but for simplicity you know imagine if I, have, if I had a piece of paper or something. Uh, yeah. Give me one moment. Just draw a quick diagram. Right. Most people won't be able to see the visual, so I'll just I'll just say what. Oh, oh, there's all audio. Okay, so just imagine a circle in your head. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is, this is just a circle. And then, uh, you know, kind of like an iceberg about, you know, towards the top, you just draw a line. Mm -hmm. And then everything above that line is your conscious mind. And everything below that is your subconscious mind. And again, I, I usually use the uh, analogy of, you know, the iceberg. Most, our conscious mind, the things that we're aware of, the things that we, uh, you know, con that, that cognitive dialogue we hear in our mm -hmm. head, that's a very small part of what is actually going on. Most of uh, what we experience is the subconscious mind, which is, you know, that 90, if you think of the icebergs at the 90% you see below, the, you don't see below the water. But there's a lot of things that we don't, you know, that have been internalized that we don't think about consciously. So if you think about someone that started driving a car, the first time you drove a car, it was overload. It was, you know, you, you too many, there's buttons and there was a wheel and there was signs and lines and you're just like, ah, and now after so many years, people are like texting and driving and you know, they shouldn't be, but they, it's, they're capable of doing that. They don't really think about it. It's been so internalized that the skill is almost automated. So that basically the idea is that skill set or that, uh, you know, a set of ideas um, was integrated into the subconscious mind in a way that it's automatic. So the same concept is, uh, you know, if you're trying to introduce a new idea or as you're talking about, you know, a sensation. Um, you know, I, I, uh, that orgasm, uh, hypnotic orgasm or, or anything that you would feel the same thing that, uh, you know, if I do on stage with visual hallucination, you can have any sensual hallucination. You can have, you know, kinesthetic hallucinations, which would be feeling something, uh, you know, auditory, uh, visual, ga gastronomical, and I forget the last one else, but, um, you know, five, all fat, yeah, all fat, yeah. that's it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can hallucinate with all five senses because uh -huh. you think about the we don't see with our eyes 
what actually happens when we see an image is, and if you, when you have some chance, Google what your eye actually sees, because it's not what we interpret. Yeah, what your like eye actually, it's, not, it's upside down, it's backwards, it's out of focus. It has a bunch of cracks in it where the veins in the back of our eyes, and there's two blind spots about here and here where the optical nerve connects. There's no visual receptors. So if you ever you know Google what your eyes actually see, it's not what we, we perceive. So what actually happens is it sends that image back to your brain. Your brain will flip it right side up, flip it back, you know, uh, it's the opposite of backward, not backwards. You know, it'll fill in all the gaps with information around it. It'll fill in those two blind spots and it'll put the image into focus. And that's what we perceive. So what we perceive isn't actually what our eyeballs send. Yeah. If you think about it that way, if, if you can kind of, so hypnosis is a way to kind of convince the brain that it's seeing something that it isn't. It's like, you know, like optical illusions. That's always way, ways of kind of overloading the brain. Um, so if you can, if you think about all of our senses are basically that way. Like when I touch something, you know, my hand isn't the thing that's feeling. My hand sends that, in, well, I mean, it's feeling, but it's, it's sending that message to my brain. My brain's interpreting that. And then I experience yeah. that as. Uh, so you're kind of jumping in between the sensory organ and the interpretation and just like, Inputting in a, like in a, a system, data, yeah. essentially. Essentially, I mean, that would be a simple way. I mean, a, a slight oversimplification if you were asking a biochemist what's going on. It would be right. a, lot, a lot more complicated than that. But, you know, in layman's terms, yeah, functionally, I'm getting in the way of the the interpretation of that data. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, if you're doing really sensory hallucination, if that's the well, specific thing that you're asking about. Because I and I, I take it, I mean, my two memories, my two recent memories of you, I didn't mention the details, but I remember you having an argument with someone in the house about like atheism. So I don't I, I assume you're still I still I assume you're still like on that yeah. side of the scale, right? So because I've seen like hypnosis and like autosuggestion gets thrown in a lot of different places, like a more scientific side, which I seem it seems that you come from, but also like the law of attraction folk will take what you just said and say, like, well everything is subjective reality and you're like everything you're seeing and experiencing is being created by your brain anyway. So yeah. like auto suggestion is a way of like actually making money appear, things happen <laughs> or whatever. And like, I take it you don't subscribe to that, but so where I've, would the I've, be? Uh, So I have a, I have an interesting perception of the law of attraction folk because It's it's simultaneously accurate and incredibly inaccurate. Um, so, for, for the, if anyone's listening doesn't know what the law of attraction is, it's basically the idea that your your thoughts will change your reality. On some level, that's true. Actually, if you go back to what I was saying about something that you believe, like, you, know, you can kind of make a self fulfilling prophecy. If you think that you're a screw up and you go through like believing that you're going to screw everything up, you're probably going to screw up a lot because you're kind of you know, unconsciously. Um, if you think about something a lot, it becomes a priority in your mind. You'll start to unconsciously look for, you know, so let, let's say you suddenly become really ambitious and you're like, I want to be, I don't know, a doctor or, or an actor, or you, you suddenly have this new interest. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's the same idea that if you ever, you ever get a new car and suddenly you see your car everywhere. Right. It's selection were, bias. Yeah. Well, they were always, those cars were always there. But because you're not changing your thought patterns, because suddenly you you, you know what your car looks like, or if you're and looking you're for you're like, oh, I want to be an actor, all these opportunities you're going to notice, or all these things in the environment that maybe didn't make sense to you before, you'll notice them. They were always there, but they they suddenly pop out to you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so in this, in a sense, the law of attraction is is kind of accurate in your own perception. Where it starts to fall apart is where the the people, the law of attraction folks, think that your thoughts can change your outside world. So the idea that you could win the lottery because you focused on it hard enough. The lottery has no connection to your thoughts. Um, yeah, but you know, just that, just, that, I mean, just uh, playing devil's advocate, like if everything that you're experiencing through your five senses is constructed by your brain anyway, like how do I know that you didn't hypnotize me and I'm just imagining this conversation hypothetically, right? We could go on a philosophical right. wheel on that, but like... Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll actually reality. answer that really sure. quickly, but you're, you're jumping on the realm of hypnosis. This is actually more scientific philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- there is actually, you're right. Um, if you really want, if you want to really build our understanding from scratch, you throw away all assumptions. You throw away everything you think you know, and you were to start from scratch, you will quickly realize that there is one insurmountable bridge that you cannot grasp, you cannot logically pass, and that is is the natural world as we perceive it true in the way that we perceive it? Well, the only way that we have to perceive the world is through our five senses. Mm -hmm. So you have no way of verifying that. The only thing that we actually ever know 100% is true and accurate is that we have consciousness and we perceive things. Now, if you ask the question, how do you know what you perceive is, it's, you know, it's, it's Plato's allegory of the cave. It's the matrix. It's any, you know, yeah. it was a dream. You know, you, you could say, we're in a computer program. We're in a dream. You can't disprove any of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you it's quickly... Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's the idea that quickly the idea is that you can't actually... No one has come up with a way of passing that that gap because we don't have a way of perceiving... You know, even if you create an instrument, there's like, you know, an infrared scanner that can see things that we can't. Well, how do you know the infrared scanner is real? Right. You know, however... You know, it's it's an interesting debate if you want to talk philosophy. However, there's one problem with it. Well, there's, there's one, there's a couple of problems with it. But the major problem is that if you stop there, you can't learn anything. So, yeah, you can t- have some level of respect that, yeah, is reality as we perceive it real? We can't ever know 100% for sure. But as far as I can tell, reality has always abided by a certain level of rules and i've never seen any reason to you know i perceive those the the rules of physics the rules of just like you know i I can't put my hand through my desk um so in i basically make an assumption it's called you know i think in uh, science we call it one of the the basal assumptions of reality uh there's three i think there's three of them but the, the one big one is that the reality as we perceive it is true the natural world as we perceive it is true as we perceive it there is some respect that we can't ever know that's true, but you know you can't ever learn anything if you don't at least make that assumption. That on that, doesn't doesn't hypnosis fuck with that first assumption already? Like if I perceive that I have like three dicks in my chest because you hypnotized <laughs> me, and I perceive it, is that not reality? Or does me for, perceiving for later you, that doesn't exist for you in that moment? Yeah, it would be your reality. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know. After the fact, you could understand that. So it's you know it's like if you drop acid or, or any hallucinogenic, um, you know you understand the things that you perceive are not objectively real, but it's your reality. You know, I I, I learned a while ago. I you know I, I used um, 
I, I think I insulted the person. I didn't realize I insulted them because I'd, I'd never taken acid at the time. Um, but someone was talking about it. I was like, it, uh, there's this girl that was a friend of mine. She said, you know, I want to have an experience that was as real as some, you know, what I experienced on, on acid, for example. And I was like, and I, I just said, you know, in kind of my scientific state of mind, well, yeah, that's not, that's not a legitimate experience in, in like, in the sense that it wasn't real. Um, but she interpreted it, but for her, you know, she, she obviously knows that what she experienced wasn't objectively real, but mm -hmm. she still had an experience that was really profound for her, um, which is irrelevant to whether it was quote unquote real or not. You know, yeah, it was she, I think she understands it's subjective that, reality. Yeah, it was a subjective reality that, and she understood, you know, if I, if I were to go back and, and talk with her, I haven't spoken with her in a while, but she, I think she would understand that, yeah, objectively what she experienced wasn't real, but from her point of view, she had a real experience. So then you start, then, then you're getting at the semantics of well, what's real. You know, you have subjective reality and objective reality. Uh, so a lot of, you know, hypnosis, if you're, if you're going to hallucinations, that would be a subjective reality. Um, but, you know, you, you also have the, you know, you, you talk about, feeling things you can also have the exact the exact opposite which would be a negative you know you were talking about a positive hallucination seeing something that's not there there is something called a negative hallucination which is not not experience something that is there mm -hmm. um the extreme of this would be people for example that use hypnosis as anesthesia uh there are people that will go through surgeries on hypnosis mm. uh, where they basically they will have um, use hypnosis to anesthetize themselves and they can't feel anything um this is this is an interesting option for someone that's, for example, allergic to anesthesia, and their options are basically see if hypnosis works or f fight the pain. A hypnotic <laughs> anesthesiologist is that what you would call it? Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm not I'm not sure if you if there's a title for it. Um, I've I've known. I, uh, I'd imagine that person would have to have crazy insurance though, because <laughs> like yeah, like I yeah, I, I would never. You know, I'm not. So, for example, I'm not entirely sure. This is a world that I'm not intimate with. Um, but my assumption would be you either have a, a doctor that also is specialized in hypnosis. Because generally in an operating room, you, if you don't have a doctor, if, you don't, if you're not a doctor, you can't go in the operating room. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I see, yeah. So, you, so you'd either train the person to hypnotize, you know, go into hypnosis really deep and then train them to recall that themselves and then maybe train one of the doctors, hey, this is a stimulus. So like maybe you have music playing or something that they, you know, I actually watched a video when I was first learning hypnotherapy of this woman that she had, to, she had to have a cesarean section and she had that exact problem. She was allergic to anesthesia and they, they videotaped this because, you know, there's obviously going to be skeptics that this ever happened, but they, the hypnotist hypnotized her, taught her how to go really deep, taught her how to basically anesthetize herself and then you, you need an anchor to keep yourself in hypnosis. Generally, it would be the hypnotist keep, that keeps speaking. The hypnotist wasn't allowed in the operating room. So he had taught her to anchor it to a hymn. She was a religious woman. Um, so she's just singing this hymn throughout the entire operation. Right. No anesthesia. And the doctor, I actually had never, I'd never seen a cesarean section before. I actually never didn't realize how violent it can be. Like they're like shoving their hand in there, like pulling the baby out. Like it's, wow. uh, it looks pretty intense. And this woman is just conscious on the table, like, uh, 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 it, it's surreal. Real. Well, that, that, I mean, if she, if she like hears that hymn in church, will she just get knocked out? Probably not because, because it, it's, cause she, it was, she, she I don't think, again, I don't know. I didn't interview the hypnotist. I don't know the guy that did it, 
uh, but from what I understand, the hymn wasn't used as an induction. It was used as a uh, as an anchor to stay in hypnosis. Gotcha. Okay. But I mean, it is true. You know, I, I did a radio interview one time, and I, I said one of my conditions is I will not do the induction on air, because mm-hmm. while unlikely, it is possible. Because some people are are more easily hypnotized than others. Everyone yeah. can be hypnotized, but some people are what we would in the hypnotic world called natural somnambulists, which is a French word that means sleepwalker. Um, but natural somnambulists in the hypnosis world, someone is really just nat- goes in hypnosis really deep, really easily. About twenty percent of the population isn't what we would call a natural somnambulist, roughly speaking. And, and so people, po- well, actually, I, I have another tension, but continue. Yeah, I'm going to answer it quickly. <laughs> I was just going to say that I wouldn't do the induction on air because there is a possibility that someone would be driving their car and listening to the, the thing online and uh, or on on air, and then just conk out and get into a car accident. It's unlikely, but it's not not unlikely enough that I wouldn't consider it a safety hazard. Gotcha. Cool. So for those who don't speak like hypnosis lingo, <laughs> natural sure. somnambulist would be just like an, a very impressionable person is how we would perceive it normally. Yes, it would be someone that could go into hypnosis very with minimal effort. Gotcha. But so if, if I was like, if we had like a group of people and we wanted to identify those people without like inducing them into like a formal hypnotic trance, could we, those would be people that kind of like jump on ideas quickly or maybe it's like susceptible to group think or like was that was that fair to to make that generalization uh so i've heard a lot of people make the claims that they can tell some uh, there's a lot of tests i've heard out there that can claim that they can tell how hypnotizable someone is without just hypnotizing them and some kind of makes sense on, on a, a level like for example someone's really creative you know hypnosis exists by engaging the imagination so you it would Logic would suggest that someone's really creative, someone in the arts, someone that maybe meditates a lot would be really easily hypnotizable. In my experience, I think there might be some correlation there, but at the same time, take the exact exact opposite. You would think a lot of hypnotists, especially when they first get started, they're really afraid of the really logical person, Mm -hmm. someone that's like the engineer. Me, for example, I'm, I'm, you know, super cognitive and, and, you know, um, because there's the idea that if you can't let go of reality, you'd be a really bad subject. But one of the best, uh, my ex roommate was, is an engineer, like literally. And he is like kind of one of those logical uh, folk. And he's probably one of the best hypnotic subjects I've ever worked with. I, you know, he, he by request one time asked me to give him an, um, amnesia for like three months. He, he wanted to replay a video game trilogy and without remembering what the, out, the outcome interesting, is. Interesting but, use of hypnosis. It was, it was funny because we were, we were talking about how it, it, it was a, I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but we were talking about how, you know, like things with stories, books, TV shows, movies, uh, you can never, you can only ever watch them for the first time once, especially mm-hmm. if there's a twist. And then I've had the idea, well, I hypnotize people to, you know, forget their names and have amnesia, you know, it's, not unfeasible that I could hypnotize someone to like forget a movie and then watch it as if they were seeing it for the first time. So we put it to the test, but I think we watched, we actually watched the matrix. I hypnotized him to forget that he had ever seen the matrix and it worked. He, he was, he was surprised by all the twists. And then he had the request. It was, I don't know if you play video games. So it's the, the mass effect video game trilogy. And one of the things is that uh, um, there's a lot of choices I've, in the game. I've played it before. There's a lot of okay. replay value. Yeah. yeah so the, 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 cho- the choices in the game actually affect the outcome of a lot of stuff in the game. So he wanted to replay that entire trilogy, which is like a hundred hours of gameplay. 
without knowing any of the characters, any of the storylines, any of the twists, any of the outcomes of any of his decisions as if he had played it the first time. And I was actually at the time skeptical because I'd never hypnotized someone for more than, you know, a show. Cause I usually use amnesia as, you know, a, a goof in a, in one of my shows. Uh-huh. So like, oh, you, you forget the number five, you forget your name. You might forget the show. You'll, you'll go out there and you'll forget the, uh, you know, coming up on stage until someone shakes your hand and you'll laugh and it'll all come back to you or something. But I'd never done hypnosis for, you know, for a hundred hour gameplay video game. I, I had no knowledge of whether that would work. What did determines it, the length of like how long it lasts there, a show versus three months? It's, it's, it's um, that's an interesting question. How long hypnosis works in general? Uh, I like the answer my last teacher gave to me. I forget the way, I remember how you actually phrased it. Uh, hypnosis can last a hypnotic effect can last as long as it is uh what's what's the word um not conducive uh in line with your uh, who you are who you want to be and as long as there is an anchor to keep you there or to keep the idea there mm-hmm. so you know we're talking about misconceptions. You know, a lot of, a lot of people will ask me about movies and one of the more famous hip movies with hypnosis in it is office space. You ever seen it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, basically in, in short, the premise is the guy goes to a hypnotist, the hypnotist has a heart attack and then he's stuck in hypnosis the entire rest of the movie. Uh, he's just super mellowed out and whatever. And then it's, it's a comedy movie, but that would never happen in real life. If, if I hypnotized you and I had a heart attack, one of two things would happen. You'd either wake up or you go to sleep and then wake mm-hmm. up. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, same thing. You know, if I give you some ridiculous, you know, like, um, you know, every uh, some ridiculous hallucination or some, you know, if I t- told you to forget your name and you couldn't think, oh, I can't think of my name. And then I just walked away. It would eventually come back to you. You know, yeah. probably within so a few seconds. With the roommate, did you have to keep re or anchoring him or re? No, in his case, I pretty much put a a mental barrier in the way. So this this is an interesting Again, it's kind of off topic, but yeah, uh, all so, so yeah, am, amnesia. Yeah, I I came to the conclusion, and I've only done this once, so I, I have you know a sample size of one. But I came to the conclusion I didn't actually make him forget. What I basically did was put a mental barrier in the way that, uh, that prevented him from recalling that information consciously. And the reason I say that is because you know I was his roommate. I was hanging out with him all the time. He would occasionally make references to points of the game that I knew he hadn't reached yet. But when pressed about, you know, we were, we were playing another game. We, uh, we played Dungeons and Dragons. For, you know, we're, we're all a bunch of nerds. So I remember one one of the characters that the DM had was just goofing around. We were playing with, you know, my roommate made reference. He's like, oh, that reminds me of the character Morden. And I happen to know that he hadn't met Morden yet. And I, was, and I asked him, I was like, how do you know who that is? He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, who's Morden? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> so so like on, on the on the offbeat he because the so the data was still in there yeah and on the offbeat he could kind of be like oh that kind of reminds me of this but when i asked him about it he couldn't he didn't know why he made the reference hmm. he so it's didn't not like know you wiped his hard drive you just kind of like hit it somewhere yeah like i like a okay. password protected there or something gotcha. and so he couldn't recall it consciously um have you seen eternal sunshine a spotless mind yeah 
So since that could be done through hypnosis, essentially. Uh, well, in that movie, you're actually they're actually erasing the memories. Um, but you could like make someone not remember a relationship. I've actually had people for, uh, ask me that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had I've had people ask me to make me forget, like you know, their their loved ones. And I, uh, in theory, I, I could. I've always advised people against it, and I've never done it because I don't actually think that's a healthy. You know, I, I get it. Like breakups suck, and afterwards, you you have all this pain. You just want the pain to go away. But I, you know, I, I think you know, if you watch Sunshine of the uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, you know, by the end of the movie, the kind of idea that he starts going for is he want he wants to keep the memories. He's trying to fight against mm-hmm. it, uh, even though it caused him a lot of pain. He does. He would rather have the pain and the memories, especially of all the good times, than not remember it at all, not having that be a part of his life. So. In theory, it's plausible. I've never done it because I've generally advised people against it. I've yeah. used hypnosis to help people expedite the healing process, mm-hmm. for example, uh, to to kind of you know go through those emotions in a more expedited way so that they come to terms with some of their pain. But I've never made someone forget any of their memories permanently, and I, I don't think it, I don't think it's a healthy use of hypnosis. Pla- yeah. Plausible, yeah, I think it is gotcha. totally plausible. Uh, I've never done it because I, I wouldn't recommend it. And since you're not like clearing their hard drive, they might have a random reference, like with the Dungeons and Dragons thing. We're like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. And it could be like a painful. Feeling. It, it, it could, it could just unlock, you know. Yeah. For example, I mean, it's it's also you know what kind of emotional attachment. Do you, uh, you know, I, I actually tried to do it again one time I, when uh, when the last Star Wars movie came out. Me and my friends have been joking about this for years. Uh, one of my friends wanted me to hypnotize him to forget all of Star Wars and then to watch all six movies, but in episodes one through six, like mm-hmm. watching the prequel trilogy first. And he wanted to see if he hated the prequel trilogy any less <laughs> if, if he watched it from that order with no previous memory of it. Uh-huh. The problem was, and, and we realized, and I, I think if I ever tried to do this again, I, I would try a few things differently in my approach. But what ended up happening was almost everyone, except for, oddly enough, my roommate uh, at the time, Everyone popped out at some point or another. Um, first, uh, my friend Keith popped out. He was the first one. He was he was like Jar Jar came on, and for some reason I was like I hate this character. And I don't know why. And then suddenly all of his memories just popped back, and he was like, oh, he, and he just it kind of came in as a flood, like you know, he just opened the chest. Uh-huh. And then my friend John, who's also one of the better hypnosis hypnotist subjects I've ever met, he lasted longer. He, uh, but he lasted until I think it's in the second or the third movie where you see the hologram of the Death Star. Uh-huh. And I guess the idea that Death Star is such an iconic image. Like, even if you've never seen Star Wars, you probably you probably know the Death Star is on some level or, like, have uh-huh. an idea. You know, it's so iconic. And then suddenly he's, like, he recognized it. He had no idea why he recognized it. And then he just snapped. You know, he's gotcha. just like, I'm out. Uh, so, yeah, it is one of those. I, I've never seen any evidence that when you hypnotically erase someone's mind, you're, quote, unquote, erasing it. You're more just putting a block Gotcha. That prevents them from recalling those memories. Gotcha. So I, I want to ask you, uh, I wasn't planning on this, but I want to ask you about brainwashing. Uh, and I don't know, <laughs> I mean, we haven't spoken in a long time. I don't know what your opinion is of how we met or if you mind speaking of how we met, but like. Actually, that, I don't re- I remember how we, when we first met. Oh, we met at like, you know, one taste type stuff. Oh, oh I, I like, thought you meant like it was a specific event. Oh, no, 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 no. I meant like. like event when we first met. Um, but like a lot of people do get brainwashed in that. Yeah, and I I think I was getting at with the somnambulist stuff. Uh, are those because I've I've heard people and like I don't think anyone there is consciously 
hypnotizing or anything, but everyone's kind of in this alternate reality. And some people are very are identified as being impressionable people. That's where I got the word yeah. from. And they're it, it's very quick or very easy to like flip their perceptions of everything. And I was I don't have a specific question, but I was wondering what your thoughts were on all of that. On on brainwashing? Brainwashing or even going into specifics of Okay. Uh when you when you talk about brainwashing, I think the the, the term that comes to my mind is occult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know, you know, um, it's, it's, cults are interesting because there is no, uh, what's the word? Uh, there's not like a fine line where you can be like, that's a cult, that's not a cult, that's not a cult, that isn't a cult. Um, when you start to study cults, you know, particularly like the malicious cults, um, you know, the ones that are like so far like, yes, that is a cult. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what's you know the ones where everyone was drinking the Kool Aid? Uh, Scientology, um, Scientology is, is a cult. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I particularly have a, a disdain for Scientology because I remember in my research of Scientology, they actually use hypnotic effects in a very malicious way hmm. to basically break down people's subconscious minds. Uh, yeah, I remember. I've only done. I did the auditing with the cans one time in the mall. <laughs> And uh, it was like a younger guy, I guess he was a new Scientologist. I thought he was very unskilled. It was like, if you like expose my insecurities a little more, maybe I'd be listening to you. But you, you know, that, that, that like... thing isn't, that thing is, that, 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 that I think it's called an e-meter. It's basically, if it's a... Uh, it's half a lie detector, from what I understand. Yeah, it's, it's a very fun, um, primitive lie detector. And then the obvious thing they put on top is basically like, if you were to take hypnosis and like one taste style coaching, you know, like, um, and then just use it to f- just destroy someone's psyche. That's basically what Scientology is. It's really, but that's what a lot of cult talks. So going back to the original question about brainwashing. Um, well, I just want to say, sorry, about your thing about like, what is the line? Like, that was what I learned from my cult experience the most that like everything is a, like on this continuum of cultsness. Like, yeah. brainwashing happens at work. Yeah, and, like, it is. Clubs and friend groups and families. Like, it's just there, a there's, a, there's a book called The Wrong Way Home. Um, I, forget, I forget the author's name, but he, he talks about, he's the guy that, uh, he studied cults most of his career, and he sets a, a bunch of parameters of what you will see in a cult. But the thing is, when you start to break them apart individually, like, like group think, um, there are things that, in and of themselves, they are not... They're, they're actually very common in human psychology, especially in group psychology. Um, you know, but cults tend to take them to a certain set of very common psychological uh, or sociological attributes, um, which you, you can actually see these in pretty much any group. You know, uh, but when you when you take it to a certain extreme, that's where you get a cult. So, you know, group think. When you have a group of people, they tend to, um, you know, one, you know, the, the light side of the group think would be like, you know, a bunch of friends that ha- are like-minded and they go out and they see a movie and they all kind of like the movie. And the they same have a lingo bunch of, and Yeah, the same lingo. They yeah. talk the same. Inside the, jokes. Yeah, the inside jokes. The other extreme would be, you know, a mob mentality. You know, like you, uh, you, you see this 
you know, in political rallies when, you know, some people just get mad. And then for, next thing you know, people are smashing windows and maybe there's like the people that they perceive as their enemies, like the, the counter protests across the street. And the next thing everyone is punching each other. And, and like, you know, that just that, that group fervor, mm-hmm. uh, that's, you know, that, that's kind of the extreme, um, of group think. Then you combine that with, uh, you know, there's another thing called devaluing the outsider. You know, that would be where you, you're part of a group and you basically, anyone that's outside of our group is an is idiot bad. or is, evil, is yeah. an idiot or is bad or is evil. Um, you know, you, again, you see this a lot in religion and politics, you know, anyone that's not been part of my group is what's wrong with the world. Uh, now you do tend to see, there's a very light side of that. You know, it's like, if you have a bunch of people that get together and they, they really love game of thrones and um some guys like game of thrones stupid and they're like that guy is an idiot <laughs> i disagree with it like that's just a light cultural you know like mm-hmm. the, there is there's always some level of quote-unquote devaluing the outsider and there is some threshold of it that's not really harmful but the you know the extreme of it you, we, you know we're seeing it all over the news and in politics is you know ev- every pl- person in, in politics it's like you know i have my ideological belief system and everyone on the other side, you know, the, the polarization of, you know, Democrats and, and Republicans, for example, you know, like everyone in that group thinks that they're the good guys and they think the other side is ruining everything. It's all yeah. their fault. It's, well, it's I don't and, and, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, so then you have, uh, and then there's a, there's a couple others, for example, but with, you know, with cults. So the brainwashing comes in when you start to, you know, you, you ease people into, this this group think this devaluing the outsider this there's a kind of a couple of other attributes that are slipping my mind but it's kind of like any of those attributes in of themselves are actually pretty common on some level which is groups of people it's you know it's just how mm-hmm. humans are but when you have this special maelstrom of craziness you know like when we have all of these things come together at a certain extreme then you get what people will call refer to as a cult or you know, brainwashing, um, where someone, and you especially get it where, you know, you somehow have convinced, and this it, brainwashing takes time. You know, you, you oftentimes when you see people on TV or you see someone that's in a cult and they, they look like they've just lost their mind. You're like, that person is crazy. I, it would never happen to me. But if you actually look at some of the case studies and, and the people that like people that escaped cults, for example, um, they were completely normal, rational people. Mm-hmm. Like they, they actually, they, they weren't as, you know, they look insane when they come out of the cult because they're like, whoa, you know, you, what yeah, are the conditions like that I was off acid or something? Yeah. But, you know, you, you think about cults tend to prey, and then this is where brainwashing comes in. They tend to prey on um, people's deepest insecurities. Uh, it's, it's so, you know, the common cults, like the social cults or the religious cults, you know, um, things that's, you know, often, oftentimes non-tangible things, but sometimes tangible uh, things that are really important to people, like a sense of purpose mm-hmm. or a sense of belonging. Um, the brainwashing comes when the person and the person doesn't usually realize it until it's too late. And then they um, is that they have somehow created, found themselves in a situation where they are completely dependent upon the cults for this fundamental need. And usually yeah. then, and then, and then, you know, the next step is then like they move, move into a commune or something and giving the cult all their money. And now not only are they emotionally attached to this cult, but now they're 
financially and physically attached to it too. And then it's, you know, like it's really hard to escape a cult, especially like really some of the big ones. If you're like living on, on the property, you're living with it. And, and it's, uh, you know, generally, you know, people that leave are, are excommunicated. Mm-hmm. So then leaving is, is a really dangerous problem, oh. especially, especially when families are raised. If someone, you know, for a kid was raised in one of these communes or a cult, they, they don't know what the outside world is like. Like, think of how scary that proposition is. This group of people is your entire source of safety, of income, yeah. of purpose, of social acceptance. Like, these are really big things to human beings. Yeah. And then to to le- walk away from that and then enter an unknown world. Yeah, it's like no- being under hypnosis for years and then realizing... Yeah, it's... Tripping. Like, it, I, I, you know, people that are in cults, I feel bad for them. You know, like, it's, it's easy to kind of be like, oh, those people are crazy. But when you start to really understand like the people that get drawn into cults, and this is one of the reasons, you know, um, you know there's always that kind of discussion with one taste. It was like, was one taste a cult? And it's like, I can see where people drew that because there was that sense of like some sense of fervor, some sense of like, you know, people would get really emotional in, in those things. But there's one thing that, that always drew me to, be, to the, kind of the conclusion that it wasn't a cult. And that was one thing that one taste would do that was that they uh, that a, a real cult would never do was actually allow and encourage people to talk to people outside their lives. Like generally, when you see in cults, you know, if someone is like, uh, you know, that cult is bad for you, th- that group of people, I don't trust them. They would be like, excommunicate that person from your lives. They're a toxic experience. Instead, you you have the exact opposite. It was like, oh, your mom doesn't understand. We'll try to connect with her and understand. You know, like that was. Yeah, I don't I don't know because like everything you said. It justifies to me that one taste was a cult, and I don't, I don't like shame. I don't have a huge negative yeah. view of cults. I love my one taste experience, but like everything, you know, the creating dependency and preying on securities, and like, and really, and to, to tie this back into hypnosis and why I want to talk to you about it, yeah. it's like it's uh, it's validating another reality, which is not uh-huh. what the conventional reality would be. It's like, oh, yeah, and then it's like with the insecurity, you're so attached to like this thing not being true, this other thing being true. So you, you do these yeah. drastic things to, to maintain your, your trance, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, people went in at different levels, and that's probably true of many cults. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, again, it's, it's one of those things. There isn't a fine line. You're talking about cults. Yeah. Like, you know, cult behavior, you see that in every group of people that has ever formed ever. It's just a certain maelstrom of bullshit. Yeah. That, it's a natural yeah. human organization. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a survival it, mechanism. You know, cult is an extreme collection of those of those things, and it, it exists on a spectrum. So yeah, you know that, that group. There's certainly were cultish behaviors present. I could totally see how people came to that conclusion. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, but like those those the, a lot a lot of the same behaviors exist in, in a lot of. Uh, in a lot of groups in this group mentality so i digress um yeah cool uh yeah on that particular one <laughs> yeah well yeah i think we covered a lot of cool stuff uh i feel like well i could open up another can of worms but then i think we we, well, we have about quite 10 long. more minutes we've been here for about an hour if you want to uh, uh yeah yeah we, we can we, we can wrap it up here i i mean i wanted to ask well i, I was curious about the your take I, mean, on we were, have, I know you you haven't sorry go ahead uh, what was that well, I, was, I think I think the original thing you you wanted to ask me about was like sex and hypnosis, and we didn't really touch that. Oh much. yeah, actually, I, was, like, I forgot about that. That was like my first yeah. note, and I didn't even see it. I somehow filtered it out on my note paper. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have a specific question on that anymore. I was just I kind of want to speak about my experience. Uh, I think I understand, you know, what was going on. I thought it was pretty cool. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there anything specific around sex and hypnosis that you think is useful for most people to know? Uh, well, I mean, most people are probably not going to uh, encounter sex, hypnosis and sex. I mean, most, most people don't really encounter hypnosis as far as they know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you, if you define hypnosis, just the idea of like of ideas getting into your head, you know, you're kind of always in hypnosis in a way we're always being bombarded with ideas and yeah. whatnot. Well, oh, actually, I mean, this is, this ties into one taste stuff. Like, um, there is a, I don't know if I, well, one of the instructors there who's not there anymore, he had a reputation of, um, when he would walk into a room, women's pussies would tingle. And that was like a thing that people talked about. Women would talk about women. I knew it was like, yeah, as soon as he walks into the room, my body lights up and I asked him about it. It's like, what do you think it is? Do you have like some incredible field? And he was just like, no, I just, the reputation got out and everyone thinks that. So now they just have that reaction around me. Like it was completely a suggestion. I was like, Oh, all right. Interesting. Yeah. That's, I would actually say that's pretty accurate. Um, again, it's, it's that idea. Yeah. It's that, uh, an expectation. Here's an example. Um, a lot of my teachers say, you know, when someone finds me for hypnotherapy, for hypnotherapy, for example, when would you think the hip, when do you think the hypnosis starts? When they sign up for the session or when they first meet the person? When they know who I am. The hypnosis starts as soon as they know, uh, they even know who I am. Because the first thing is, what is their impression of me? Do I come off as an expert? Do I come off as someone that can actually help them? Or do I come off as like a crazy person, you know, uh, or some kind of hack or some, someone not even worth, their, you know, the whole, uh, this is like, that's the star power thing. You know, um, people, uh, people would see celebrities, you know, uh, you know, and a lot of people don't think that celebrities can, can hear their eyes, but uh, let's take someone for Tony, like Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins has a huge, uh, kind of star power quality to him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he has, he has an empire. People talk, people like Tony Robbins and, you know, self-improvement are like, you know, kind of hand hand. Like it's just, that's one of the first names that people think about when you think of mm-hmm. self-improvement. So you think about like some of the, like, you know, paid money that like really believes in this guy and goes to one of his seminars. They're in hypnosis. They're in a trance. Like, you know, you think of the group think, think, think of the, the fervor of the, you know, if you step into a stadium uh, and like one of his huge lectures or, or, or whatever, like you're in a state of like awe. you know, now, you know, it might not be on a quote unquote trance, you know, you don't look mm-hmm. hypnotized, but you're hypnotized. You're, you're, you're in it. Your emotions are heightened. And this guy could say anything because, because the thing is you believe in him. You know, I don't know about you, but if you're one of these people that yeah. probably pay a few thousand dollars to go to one of his weekend. Yeah. And even if you're iffy, the money that you have to justify the money you spent and then yeah. thousands of people around you who believe in him, just make it easier to believe in him and yeah. support that reality. Be- belief is a powerful thing to people. And again, I, I really want to take, take what I said earlier and, and really stress how I, I, this is not, you know, a, a generalization. If an idea enters your mind and your um, um, subconscious accepts it as true, your mind and body will manifest into reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like if you, if you, you know, if you go to, you know, a, a rally or a Tony Robbins thing or, or, or whatever, you know, and, and you believe that this guy can save your life. If you go to a, a religious congregation, um, 
you know, that's really you know, like like faith healers. Those were hypnotists before we had any idea what hypnosis was, mm-hmm. because you're and then you know the guy that uh, I'm, I can guess one of the, one of the people that probably referred to, but you know by reputation. If this guy gets a reputation, and you know women are like when he when he walks in the room, like my pussy starts tingling. That's creating this expectation, and like, um, like this guy's a rock star. This guy has such raw sexuality that. You know, that hypnosis started before they even met him. And then he walks in the room and there's been so much buildup of expectation, so much buildup of belief that like, oh my God, he's there. I see him. And you start like, you start feeling it. That, you know, that's all self-suggestion. Um, or, or it's, you know, it's all, you know, so some people would say all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. Because uh, it's, it's, it's building on a belief system. You accepted that belief and, it began, and now your mind and body is manifesting into your reality. Awesome. That's a good last line. <laughs> uh, how can people find out more about you? Um, well, I'm, I'm based in the Philadelphia area, so I have two websites. My my entertainment website is frankperrylive.com. Frank, uh, Perry spelled with an I, though I, I own the other. <laughs> I own the misspelling, too, so it forwards to the, the proper site. Frankperrylive.com is my entertainment site, or if you're uh, around the Philly area and you're interested in my hypnotherapy, um, it's philadelphiahypnosis.com exactly how cool. it sounds like it's spelled and just so people know if they hire you for hypnotherapy the hypnosis has already begun yeah <laughs> so so if you're if you're, call, if you're calling me i assume i've done my um, <laughs> my job right because what however i've presented myself has somehow appealed to you sweet all right well thank you so much frank this has been super awesome my pleasure good to see you again all right you take care bye Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to be a part of the virtual audience for future episodes, make sure to follow me at crowdcast.io slash Rwando. See you next time.